0: If you want to buy a business or even just earn an income online, this could be the most important podcast episode of ours that you will listen to. Hi, I'm Jared Krause. I'm the host of the Buying Online Businesses podcast, and today I'm speaking with Dave Rodenboer, who is the founder of Recapture.io, which is an abandoned cart, SMS and email marketing service for WooCommerce, Shopify, BigCommerce, Magneto, Easy Digital Downloads, and a bunch more uh, stores. This was founded in 2015, and he put, he purchased this um, as a and it's processed over two billion in gross merchant volume and recovered over 200 million dollars from stores worldwide. Now, Dave started his entrepreneur back in 2011, having built a business directly. And he's also the co-host of Rogue Startups podcast and the WP Minute e-commerce show. He now works exclusively on e-commerce and has a passion for making merchants of all kinds more successful with their stores. And he truly loves email, dark beer, lifestyle, businesses, and family. Not necessarily in that order, of course. Now, in this podcast episode, Dave and I spoke about the mistake he made when he bought his first website business and what you can learn from it. We also talk about brand dependency in a business and what that can mean when you want to purchase a business and or sell a business. But one key discussion that Dave and I had was on risk versus opportunity. Dave believes it's good to buy a business based on opportunity more so than risk and I'm quite the opposite. I think risk versus opportunity and really depends on what seat you sit in and how much experience you have in online business. And we talk about this as more of a debate and it's more of a discussion. We talk about which one is better and why. So I think this is a very valuable discussion to just sit in on and listen to. Then Dave and I talk about long-term games with long-term people. What happens to people who actually rush? And we talk about, I share an example on how to put time on your side rather than against you, which is what most people do, putting time against themselves and it squashes their growth and they run away and try to chase the shiny object syndrome and end up doing that for years and years and years and not getting any result. So we also talk about not just jumping on into a bigger business that you don't understand. What are some of the steps you should take? For example, Dave bought a SaaS business and he's bought 18 businesses, in fact, in his duration of buying sites and and being in online businesses and how he worked his way up to the SaaS business. Now, this podcast is such a valuable podcast episode. If you're just, not just buying an online business, but wanna make an income online, this is gonna be such a great episode for you to listen to. Based on the mindset you need to have to be an online business owner, do you want to build or grow your content website? Niche website builders have helped hundreds of people to take their content websites from a few hundred dollars per month to over tens of thousands of dollars per month with crafted content creation, buying age domains, and link building strategies. These strategies have helped people increase their traffic, authority, monthly earnings, and their website valuation too. Head to nichewebsite.builders.com forward slash b-o-b forward slash to get 10% off any link building or 10% more from their content creation services. That's nichewebsite.builders forward slash bob forward slash. I'll put a link in the description too. Dave, welcome back to the Buying Online Businesses podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me here, Jared. Uh, I'm so glad to be back. The last conversation was a hell of a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to this one.
0: It was, it was. In fact, if you guys haven't checked that out, that's episode number 175. Uh, Time of recording, it went live one hour ago. Today, time of recording, and I wanted to get Dave back on to dive into some of the stuff that you talked about. That episode we talked about you know, you bought 18, 18 businesses and worked your way up to this SaaS business uh, that you have now, recapture.io, helping yep. people make a bunch of money through abandoned cart sequences via email and SMS and all that sort of stuff, which is really cool. We'll probably dive back in on just into some of that stuff, especially. We just, before we um, hit the record buttons, we're talking about, you know, some of the things you've been doing in your business and hiring and stuff like that. There's so many things (laughs) that I think will be very beneficial to unpack, but I wanted to get you back on to speak about due diligence because buying 18 businesses, you've done a lot of due diligence because you don't just do due diligence- for each business you buy, you do it for multiple businesses before you purchase. Yep. So, what do you reckon? Do you reckon you've done a hundred? Looked at hundreds of businesses. Like, what's the? What do you think? Like each, each eight. Say you say you bought eighteen. Would you say you have looked at ten each one? Or gosh, five um, each
1: one? I never thought about that number until just now. But mm. at, I'll as give you time.
0: I'll give oh, you an example of what I what I tell people mm-hmm. that start is who want to buy a business is they only want to do due diligence on the perfect business right. and what happens is uh, they aren't skilled enough to execute on the business fast enough to be able to purchase the business because other other investors say that I've taught can execute on that very fast because they've practiced and they've got experience and training. Uh, and so it's not just do due diligence on maybe a handful of businesses. What I tell people is they should be doing due diligence on 10, 20, 30 businesses, maybe up to 50 before they even find one that's like let's put an offer on it. So that's what I but I'm I'm training people to become great investors and you know I know when I started, I probably didn't do due diligence on as many as I probably should have as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. now, so now that you've pointed that out, I, I'm looking back at the 10 years that I've been buying here. And I would say that one of the early mistakes that I made in this whole thing was that I was trying to do diligence, do due diligence. Ooh, say that five times fast. Do due diligence. On the perfect business. So I was like trying to pre-qualify things by looking at a prospectus or a listing and say, oh, that's not going to work. Really, I I did myself a disservice doing that because Mm. during due diligence, you really are looking for two things. You're looking for opportunities where you can do better and risks that you want to avoid at all costs. And I think people lean a little too much to the risk side of that and less on the opportunity side of that. I certainly did when I was starting out because I was like trying to find the perfect business that was going to make me money and had no risk. That doesn't exist. (laughs) If it did, why would they be selling it? Like this is, it's obvious when you say it, it's not so obvious when you're going through and doing that due diligence for the first few times. So you know, of the 18 businesses there, I have definitely done a multiple of those three, five, I I don't know. But as I got more into it, I realized I had to look at more. I had to kiss more frogs before I was actually going to find a prince, so to speak. Mm, Right.
0: Definitely. The tricky one is risk versus opportunity. You said, um, most people end up being too heavy on the risks and not looking enough at the opportunities and that's a really good case like that's this is a really good thing to debate because I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum right where I like to try and find and uncover all of the risks before buying a business so at least I know what could possibly happen and then what I like to do is I like to use those risks as opportunities uh, because all problems are just opportunities in disguise, right? And we like True. to use those as growth opportunities, uh, which is how I help people scale their businesses, by de-risking it. There's, that said, is it depends on how much effort, time and energy you, so the investor has to put into the business. Because if a business has a lot of risks, it may be selling for far less. Uh, and people may want to pick up a bargain and do a whole lot of work on it and change those things around. Personally, that's right. not my philosophy yeah. uh, and it's not what I prefer to teach. Uh, but you do have people out there that are like, you know, trying to flip sites real quick and, you know, just looking at like the potential upside to own it for, you know, six months or whatever it is and then and get rid of it and, and make some quick cash. Uh, What do you think about the risk versus the opportunity sort of side there? Because it's such a good discussion.
1: Oh, yeah. I I mean, Ridley, this is the core of due diligence, in Mm. in my opinion, to understand these two. And I would say that uh, there are really two kinds of risks. There are, let's call them controllable risks. And then there are risks that are just literally out of your hands. So I can give you an example of one of the businesses that I bought. So there was a risk that I didn't identify during the time that I was purchasing this business. So this business was a notification business for students at a university about wait lists, uh, opening up for certain classes. So there was this guy, he wrote this app and basically the, the university didn't have a very sophisticated registration system and it would put you on a wait list, but it wouldn't tell you when there was an opening in the class. So he saw that hole, built a system out of Python, and mm-hmm. and figured that he could add a little SMS and Twilio and and you know send these notifications. And it was a really good business. It had a bunch of other flaws, but the main one that I missed during due diligence was, and actually that's not totally fair. I did see this during due diligence. I didn't see it as a as a big risk at the time and it was a platform risk and basically you were dependent a hundred percent on that university's api being available for you to go in and query the classes query the wait lists and seeing when things were open and mm-hmm. that allowing your app to query that api at a certain rate like those were all things that he was able to pull off for a number of years. And I'm pretty sure that was the reason he wanted to get out of the business. Is He saw this as a long-term risk and wanted to take the chips off the table while the getting was still good. Mm-hmm. And I realized that that was a risk too, but I wanted to take it and spread it to other universities. And what I didn't realize later is that he had an advantage, boots on the ground, being a university student there that I didn't have at these other universities. I was long out of college when I was trying this. And so I didn't have that advantage for word of mouth that he did, where he could literally talk to people down the hall in his dorm or in his other classes and say, hey, try this app. And then Mm. the thing just spread like wildfire on campus because it was wildly useful. So that was a risk that was totally out of my control. I kind of downplayed it and it ended up biting me eventually. But there were other risks you know, in other businesses that I did where I'm like, okay, they don't know how to overcome that I do know how to overcome that. They see it as a problem. I see it as an opportunity. Yeah. So it 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 has a lot to do with your experience, your willingness to work. You pointed that out. Like when I bought these businesses, uh, part of it was a learning experience for me. So I was willing to dive deep and go broad and and do whatever it took to bring the business back to life, because that was part of the learning experience for me. I just I learned best by doing. Mm -hmm. So I had to dig into it and just fix as much stuff as I possibly could. And it was a ton of work and I didn't have a lot of money to go spend, to get a team to do that or whatever. But later on, it was like, I don't want to do that again. Like I'm in a different place now. And when I buy something, I wanted to, you know, have a certain set of things that I can hire out to go fix those more quickly. So, you know, it's kind of like, it's almost like flipping a house or flipping, you know, a condo or some kind of real estate. The first time people do it, you know, there's a lot of, "Oh, I'll just do it all myself and we'll paint this and change these out and and <laughs> and and then suddenly you realize this is a ton of work. I I yeah. have no idea why I signed up for this. And then later you're like, I'm hiring contractors to deal with that." Correct. And I feel like it kind of was the same process in buying a business as you sort of identify those things. Yeah, um, and figure yeah. out risks and opportunities there. But yeah, it's a It's very much a learning process.
0: They're very much, very much a learning process. And it's, it's a journey. This is what I like to tell people is like, you don't just come in and find a site and you just don't just go, I'm just going to go to the shop and buy a site, (laughs) you know, just going to pull one off the, off the shelf at the supermarket. It's, it's not like that. It's like, you've got to go to the shops multiple times. you got to look at multiple products, come home, stew, stew over those decisions um, and really, really think about it. And to to your point on the risk of uh, the person having boots on the ground in the university, I think that's really, really good. That's a lot of people miss out on. In fact, in my Judon's framework, if people that don't ha- don't have my Judon's framework takes the guesswork out of buying a business, go away. At the end of the episode, there'll be links in the show notes. Get at my Judon's framework. It's free. It's what I my clients use to buy sites. But in that framework, we have a question: Does the owner? of the business have any way of bringing business into the business personally outside of the traffic that it's getting online. And that's super key and super important because sometimes people may have a brand or a person. there might be a personality in a space, even if it's a content site and they're selling affiliate products. Maybe they're making a lot of money through selling affiliate products and they're really big into mountain biking and they go to these mountain biking um, days and they're in the club and they've got a big personality. And then a lot of their friends, you know, asking like, what sort of gear do you use? And then making affiliate sales through that. These are the hidden things that people don't don't think about. Um, and sometimes when we buy a business, and I've been like this as well. Sometimes we buy a business, we get caught out. I'm like, oh, I didn't really know to think about that. But it's just right. because you're a beginner. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah. Um, right. And the flip side of that, if you're trying to sell something and your your business is so tied up in you your that you are the brand you yeah. are you are the main reason that people come to that business it does make it more difficult to sell so you know when you when you are creating that business or creating that brand if you can't set it up so that it can run without you and be it, it can't exist without you it's going to make that a lot harder to sell i had a friend of mine that had uh, a meal plan site and there was uh, his wife was the main personality around that, and they tried to sell it, and they Nobody really struggled because that. of that. Uh, it actually made it almost impossible to sell because they were like, "Well, she has to come with it," and she was like, "I don't want to come with it." And they were like, "Well, then we're not going to buy it." So yeah. you know that's a that was a risk that the it buyer is. wasn't willing to take on and say, "Without your personality, I don't have this community. I don't have your your sway. I don't have the story. I don't have the the background and all of that." And it was true, so. It, yeah, that's a big risk.
0: Yeah, it is a big risk. And uh, I've been just in discussions via email and with com- with clients um, in the community, Bob community that are buying sites and looking at how can they remove that single source dependency if they if they were to buy the site. And, and sometimes just trying to make the shoe fit uh, when yeah. we really shouldn't. Um, for personal branding, it's it really depends on how, like, if you're buying a content site where there's a big personal brand attached to it, are most, are the, all, most of all, all the returning visitors coming back to the site because the content is written by this key person in the business? Uh, and then will that change if you just add a new writer in? Um, so that's something to think about. You did mention uh, before about the opportunities buying a business based on the opportunities And sometimes we just need to know we've got got enough experience to take on those opportunities and Mm -hmm. actually execute them really, really well. For example, sometimes people will come to me and say, Jared, I want to buy an online business. I'm like, cool. And usually they say, I want to buy an e-commerce business. I'm like, great. Uh, Have you ever run an e-commerce business? (laughs) No. Okay, cool. Uh, Do you know how to do digital marketing? Do you have any experience in digital marketing? No. And that just... For me, it's two big questions <laughs> I like to ask because it just scares me. and it's, right. I, I red, ask flag, them, red flag,
1: red flag. <laughs> yeah,
0: I ask yeah. them to scare themselves as well is because usually an e-commerce business is heavily dependent on paid traffic. And if they don't have any experience in it, then it's not really an opportunity. Some people may think it's an opportunity. Oh, I'll just put more money into ads. But it's, it ends up being a risk, <laughs> Right. 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 Like what's a risk to somebody may be an opportunity to somebody else. And I think us identifying how much we know in the space before we purchase something is it's pretty big, pretty big. understand? Right.
1: Yeah. And I, there's another component to that too. Like I think if you wanted to learn an e-commerce business and you bought something that was like small five figures and wanted to just try it out, like... Okay. The stakes are low enough. That's cool. Like go learn that that way. But if you're going to go like get an SBA loan for a seven figure e-commerce business, that's been around for a while and you're just going to wing it. That's a recipe for disaster. (laughs) That's a recipe for personal bankruptcy at that point. I would not recommend that. So, you know, I think it can, you can use that. Like, it's okay if you want to learn those things. I learned how to market by buying smaller business Mm -hmm. to do marketing with smaller business. I honed my sales skills. I didn't have those things, but I was also only risking like less than $10,000 at a time. So if it all dried up and went away, my wife and I agreed, look, that's fine. Learning experience didn't ruin us financially. We can move on and do something else. Like that's okay. But yeah, six figures, seven figures. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's 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 crazy to think about because when you do it on a startup or a smaller business, of course, the opportunity far outweighs the risk versus a bigger. For example, similar to you, I started a drop shipping business. Well, I started multiple. Businesses, right? Online businesses mm-hmm. to try and make money online. This is my my journey, my story. Uh, I started a blog, made a little bit of money from a blog, and then I was like, "This is not really cutting the mustard. I need to make some serious coin and replace my income." So I started a dropshipping business, got all these products, got this site built, um, and had no idea that digital marketing was important and I needed to run paid ads to just make sales. I thought people yeah. would just find them on the internet and you know, I'd be I'd be rich. Not really, but I'd at least make some money. So I had to learn marketing on an opportunity business, which is a startup, and cut my teeth on that. And I think that's a really good good take that you've said, Dave, is learning on something that that is a bigger opportunity than it is a risk. For example, buying a business, seven-figure e-commerce business and never running an e-commerce business and not knowing. I mean, you can hire somebody at that stage to run the ads, but you'd want to have real proof that they've got experience in that particular niche with that p- type of product and that type of audience that they're targeting. So I think you're bang on with
1: that. Yeah. I mean, there's a ton of risk that's involved when you don't have the experience running the thing. It's really hard for you to evaluate people as to whether they're good or not, because there's a lot of flowery language and BS that they can, you know, amaze you with during an interview. And then when the rubber hits the road, you're like, wait a minute, how come my conversion rates so low? They're like, blah, 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 blah. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Like, and then you burn another $10,000 and you're like, Mm -hmm. it's not going up. And they're like, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, if you don't know that they're lying at that point, that they don't have experience, they're not getting it. They don't, you know, they're not rotating creatives. And you're not saying, hey, you need to try this. Hey, what about this? Hey, you've got to know those pain points to squeeze when, you know, push comes to shove to make sure that they're doing what it is you need them to do. And that's a hard thing to do. Like coming into it, I I come from a technical background. So the hardest thing for me was to evaluate if I was hiring somebody from sales or somebody from marketing. How do they really know their stuff? It all sounds pretty good, and you can eliminate the lame, you know, proposals from the the good ones. But once you get down to the, the the actual person, do you really know that they know their stuff? Because you have to know your stuff to know whether they know their stuff.
0: Yeah, oh, you do. And this is what I tell people: is that you can just go away and outsource something. Fine, great, but. People that you do hire can, what we like to say is just take the mickey, take the piss. And (laughs) because you don't know, you don't know if they're doing the job correct. You don't know if they're good because you don't know how to at least understand what they're doing or sort of oversee some of the work. You don't need to be the expert, boots on the ground type person, but you at least need to know enough, understand that they should be getting X results and use the lingo, the language, the terminology, speak to them and drive them to get a result otherwise it's a huge risk that you're hiring people that you have for a task that you have no idea about another thing with the hiring somebody for marketing or hiring anybody at all yes it's so tough to know who to hire and when you first start out i've spent you know 10 grand here 15 grand here you know different and 30 grand on marketing people like each there's three different price points that i've done in the past uh and you know one of them worked Luckily, the one that was more money, the 30K over the other ones, but that's 25K lost on the other other hand, right? right? Yeah. So, and not just money lost. What's more important to me is the time. Lost a lot of time mm-hmm. and fluffing around. And so at the start, I feel like you kind of need to, I think that's kind of a piece of the journey of making an income online is trying different contacts, trying different workers, and getting burnt and learning the hard way and getting that experience because eventually as you start to grow then you start to build a bit of a network of people in the space and this is what I'm why I'm telling this story is because what I like people who are listening to understand is that the goal shouldn't be just always is yeah find the best people to work with and hire but how you get there is in my opinion through network and building and the, in the route to that and the road to that is building a good network of people that can refer you people that they've used and they trust so for me, when I bring people in um, and I work with people, it's somebody that I've I've got a referral from. Even with my health and anything, it's you know I'm not just going to Google somebody and go. I'll try this person out. I'm going right. to ask for a referral from somebody I know that is in that space that I trust. Have you found that in your space in you know um, in the sort of SaaS world that you know you you try to you've built a network and you tap into that when you go to work and use people?
1: Oh, one hundred and thousand million percent. I mean, I cannot agree with that statement more if it was humanly possible. Um, You know, there were... So in the SaaS world, there's uh, this particular conference called MicroConf. And when MicroConf was first, I was around when the very first one happened in 2011. And it was like one of those amazing events where I suddenly found my people. Like I found the other builders of businesses just like this. And every single year, I went back to that conference and... I made more friends, cultivated relationships, learned more tactics, understood what other people were doing in their own businesses, and eventually that turned into like long term relationships to where you know mastermind groups were formed and we've got um, you know biannual retreats that we do at this point uh, mm. with other founders that are kind of doing the same things. And these people, you know, we're in a Slack channel and we're constantly bouncing stuff off of each other and doing updates. So everybody's staying up to, uh, up to speed on what's going on. At the same time, everybody gets to ask questions of, you know, this very trusted network. This was not something that developed overnight. And I cannot quantify the value that these people bring to my business or to my life, but I can tell you that it's huge. It's massive. Um, I would not be where I am today without that network. You know, when somebody says some saying like, Oh, your, your network is your net worth. They are not lying about that. The more (laughs) people that, you know, that can benefit you and that you can benefit them. It's a two-way relationship. It can't just Mm -hmm. be one way because nobody wants to be around a leech, right? right? There's a reason that they are, you know, in the, the warmest parts of the swamp that mm-hmm. you you have to provide that value as well. So that means it's on you to you know go out, learn stuff, be interesting, do speaking opportunities. That's the thing that sort of helped me build up my network because people were like, oh, he's kind of interesting. I want to get to know that guy. And then I would use that as a way to intro other people that I wanted to get to know. And then yeah. we would exchange information and ideas and that that turned into a, a really big deal. So yeah, you cannot understate that network effect there
0: oh it's so good and I want to put a cherry on the top of what you've just said here Dave uh and what we're discussing is that there's a really good book um or there's a really good podcast it's I think it's called how to get rich by Naval Ravikant and mm, yeah. what, I hope I my pronunciation of his name was correct uh but in that he says you should be playing long-term games with long-term people and I feel that people that try to Turn to the internet to make money, I was one of them. And I was in this position and this state of mind that I need to make money as fast as I possibly can. And I don't have time for long-term stuff. I've just got to, I've just, I just want to replace my income and earn an income online and I want to do it fast. I want and I wanted it two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what I try to instill in people and teach people is that the value isn't in like you doing work for one, two or three years. The value is in the compounding effect of you being in the space and to look at this as not just just a vehicle or just a tool to earn some income, but it should become a, a bigger long-term journey and move into it if you love the space because that's where the compounding return is going to come from networking and being in the space for a long period of time. Playing long-term games with long-term people is what's going to help you win because I find what you're doing then is... Something that I like to call, you know, and I've, I've spoken about this on a lot of other interviews where people interview me uh, on different podcasts and things where you can change from the view of you having time against you to putting time with you and putting time on your side. When you are trying to achieve a goal really, really fast, you put time against you. And what happens is you try to do it really fast. You p- piece things together um, and you're not in the best proper state of mind because you're coming from a place of fear and a place of lack and when you do that you become stressed and when you try to make decisions when you're stressed you don't make the best decisions and you drop the ball more times than you want to hold onto right. on to it the opposite side if you put your longer if you put your um, journey out longer say over a five to ten year period you can relax you can have a better time. You can make better decisions because you're less stressed, and you're not trying to. You're not trying to put time on you or time against you. You flip it around just to say, "Hey, time is on my side," and then the longer that I am in on this journey, the better results I'm going to get. And I think that's something really important for people to understand.
1: Yeah, when when you were saying all of that, something came to mind: fast burn, fast churn. Mm-hmm. So the faster you're trying to do something and, and make it happen it's more likely the faster it's going to fizzle out because mm-hmm. it, this is all a marathon. It's not a sprint. I mean, you can make it a sprint, but you're going to find that you have to keep doing more and more sprints. And that's, that's unsustainable in the long, t- in the long term. you just can't do that. So the more you can build up something and leverage that over time means that you're going to have more success, you know, in the long run.
0: Yeah, I love it. I love it. Fast burn, fast churn. And this is the way that I would look at it if people that come into the space uh, and try to buy a site is they try to just go real fast and they just burn themselves out. If they can't find a site within three months, they're like, This is this is crap. Like this doesn't work. This vehicle doesn't work. Whereas you see people that stay six months to twelve months to eighteen months, they buy a business, they get a result, their life is better, faster, actually. In fact, then the person who came in for three months and they're on to the next shiny object syndrome trying to find, you know, where's the, how do I make the money? How do I make the money real quick? How do I replace my income in like this? Like all these marketers are telling me that I can do it in 20 days and whatnot. For me, it took me, it probably took me three to six months to find my first business. And then, and then after that one, it took me, took me even longer and then longer the third one. And now, as I go through buying more businesses, I've just got myself a longer time frame and a horizon. For you, what does it look like when you first started? Were you similar? Were you trying to buy a site as quickly as you could, or were you a bit smarter than me at the start and and had a bit had a bit more time?
1: <laughs> oh, I love you're giving me so much credit. Uh, no, I I was so impatient. All I, you know, it's like, I had this wad of cash burning in my pocket and I'm like, I gotta (laughs) buy something right now. And so, you know, fortunately I did have this other guy who had some experience to kind of advise me, but even so, like both of us were still relatively new. He had probably about three years experience compared to my zero at that point. Mm. But even then, you know, that three years experience in that space isn't a ton if you're like getting and buying businesses. And I think he only had like two or three businesses, maybe four at that point. Mm. And of course, over time, he started churning through those businesses and upgraded to other businesses. Uh, And as a data point to your previous thing there, uh, my last business for recapture, it took me 18 months of going through businesses and due diligence to find the right one. So I am so glad that I waited. It was absolutely worth every painstaking moment. But I'll tell you, those 18 months sucked. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> when you want to do something, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Especially when you're on the precipice of purchasing something, and you're just like, "This is this is good, this is good." I'll give you an example. Uh, a guy that I do some one-on-one work with, he bought a business. We're helping him scale it. His business is really good, and he's crushing it. And he just on our mastermind call two days ago. Um, there's some new people that joined that are looking at buying businesses. Um, and they're like you know you know wanting to do it real fast obviously uh we're trying to slow them down (laughs) um much to them disliking it but he came up with his story and said look I was this close to buying a business with a broker. Um, he got his offer price locked in and he just had to wait 20 days until some extra money came in because this is a mid six-figure content site deal. Just had to wait a little bit longer, like 20 days, three weeks or something to, to get that extra money to just be able to pay it. He said, I'll give you all cash. Anyway, the deal fell through and he wanted the business. Um, it was a good. It was a good business and it didn't end up happening. That was the best thing that could have happened not in the time for him he's like oh it's so frustrating you know so close oh, yeah. finally got close to buying a business and it was not his fault at all um, you know he could have got the he could have got the deal uh, but in hindsight and what he said and we were talking about on the call the other day is like it's the best thing that could have happened and he, he's glad it happened to him because then he bought an even better business so sometimes when we're like mm. we're so close to buying one and all the things just don't don't work out, it's okay. You can try and make the shoe fit and then butcher it. But sometimes it's just not the right thing. And it's yeah. worth waiting for the right one. We are just talking about it before, before we hit the record buttons, right? You had been looking for somebody to hire a, a key person in your business to hire for multiple, multiple months, more than you would have liked to wait. But I'm going to ask you now, was it worth the wait to find this
1: person? It appears to be absolutely worth the wait, and hmm. yeah, we were looking for uh, I'm now doing the math in my head. It was closer to nine months than wow. seven months. I mean, I, both of those are very long numbers to be waiting for one person in one position. It has a You're whole right. lot of interviews, and I'll tell you, we were so close. But you know, Derek Seavers, uh on his blog, he has a really great post that I always go back to and refer when it, when it comes to like working with people. If it's not a hell, yes. It's a no. And I don't care whether it's people that you work with, features you want to build, a business you want to buy. If it's not a hell yes, it's a no. You need it to be a hell yes. That's what makes it sustainable in the long run. Mm-hmm. And I kept talking with my tech lead, and he has read the same article, and he knew about this as well. And, and we kept asking ourselves that question every time. Is he a hell yes? And we honestly had to keep answering. Uh, and if you can't say hell yes, it's a No. And, you know, it was frustrating to both of us because we're like, oh, God, we have to interview more. This sucks. Yeah. But it was worth it. It was truly worth it because we found somebody that really when we got to a hell yes, I had to hold back like hard from totally fanboying on this guy (laughs) because he was that good. Like I was so excited to get him hired and get him in.
0: Yeah. This is a great. This is a great quote to use for a uh, due diligence on a business and thanks so much for sharing yeah I, I've heard it before where sometimes people say if it's not a hell yes it's a hell no that's just so beautiful because if it doesn't tick all the boxes then you're trish, you, you're just trying to make the shoe fit and when mm-hmm. we try to make the shoe fit we can buy this business and it can just make our life harder like it can do the opposite of what our actual goal was, right? I've done this with people that I've hired before, brought them into the business and trained them up. Training took longer. Uh, didn't they? Didn't really get into the role. When they did get into the role, they butchered the work. And you are like this has just made my not hasn't made my business easier. It's made my life harder. And it's the same when you buy buy a whole business in itself. Um, you want to. Some people will go. Oh, it takes a little bit more hours than I would actually like to run the business. And there's some of these things and they go away and get it. And then they've got they're juggling their job because they're trying to replace their income. And then they're mm-hmm. j- dealing with this business that they're just trying to make work because they just want to get in the space and they want to at least start, start to make some sort of income. It's just, yeah.
1: that's a total no rookie fun. mistake. I I, may, I have made that rookie mistake many times in the last 10 years people i've hired and i was like oh they'll be good enough oh they'll grow into it you know and some mm-hmm. businesses same kind of thing oh this looks like it'll work i think i can make this i think i know no <laughs> <laughs> you, you can talk yourself into a lot of stuff yeah. that isn't true you really have to be brutally honest with yourself is this really a hell yes because if it's not it's a no yeah i love it
0: One thing that I want to ask you before we wrap this up, Dave, is SaaS sites and SaaS businesses. Mm -hmm. You started, what what was your uh, motivation for wanting to, like your last business you bought, recapture.io, we talked about that towards the end of our call, um, our Mm -hmm. podcast in episode 175, guys. So go away and check that out. There'll be links to recapture.io in the show notes, helping people to... Uh, scale their e-commerce businesses with abandoned cart software and through emails and stuff like that. It's real. It's solid. It's really good. Just check out the site and you'll be impressed. So, congrats on that Dave. But what pushed you towards SaaS businesses over some of the other different business models?
1: Well, that's a good question. So,
0: because it's I, not an easy. It's not just. I I never put a beginner into a SaaS
1: business. No. Absolutely not. Um, And in fact, when I first started this, uh, I was fortunate enough to have that guy I was telling you about that was kind of my mentor in this space. He was headed towards SaaS, but he realized that even after three years, he was just barely ready for SaaS. Mm. And I looked at my skill set and I was, again, being brutally honest with myself. I didn't have the marketing chops. I didn't have the sales chops. I didn't fully understand like how to be really in touch with the customer and get good product market fit. So Mm. I said to myself that whatever I was going to build, I had to use that to learn those skills to level up to a SaaS business. But ultimately I wanted the SaaS business for the Holy grail of recurring revenue because a lot of the other businesses, you know, I've tried AdWords, uh, AdSense businesses. I've tried affiliate. I've tried um, content uh, sites. I've tried, um, one off sales. Uh, and all of those business models have some pluses and minuses to them. But the real rough reality to most of those businesses is that you either have substantial platform risk with, you know, AdSense with Google or any other, if you're doing Facebook ads and you're relying on that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. those platforms can, at the drop of a hat, change an algorithm, pull the rug out from under you, ban your business, and you're done. And, and that happened on one of my businesses, literally. And so you had to be super careful about that. But on the flip side, like if you're doing one-off sales, now you got to go get new customers it's again. Like, everything. holy crap, yeah. your selling never stops. Like you just don't have this engine that's driving you forward faster. With a SaaS, you can get a flywheel going as opposed to, uh, you know, just a regular wheel. Mm -hmm. Where the flywheel captures energy and it increases in your momentum and it can move the business along faster as you get bigger. So you can accumulate that energy, accumulate that momentum and do better in the business. And that was really only possible with a SaaS through expansion revenue, going up market, um, and all of those other things. When you have that money coming in every month, you can build from a baseline and tack it up and go up from there. But if you're doing one-off sales next month, you're back to zero and you're trying to get back to where you were the last month. It gets to be a real struggle. It gets Mm -hmm. to be a real struggle. It really does.
0: I actually did one-time sales um, for this Bob business at one stage when I first started. I just did one-time sales, teaching the course one-to-one. Then it just got, got, I got too busy, got too many clients, got sick, and then changed it to the membership model. And it's the best thing I've done, not just for me, but for everybody else, because people are getting great results. Um, And I can actually help more people at at more scale rather than I had a bottleneck there. And it was doing one-time sales is really, really tough. And then when you look at, you know, different sites um, that have platform risk, you're putting a decent amount of money into into risk there. But at the same time, for those who are new, I'm, I'm not recommending them to go into SaaS. Like you worked your way up to it and so did your mentor. And I think it's something that's really important to do so because, you don't just want to put too much on the table and not have the experience to know what to do with it so where would you people suggest people start dave you like what sort of small online business would you suggest them get into start off?
1: Well, uh, there's definitely a wide variety of, of ways to start. So the, the method that you're talking about, not just jumping straight up to SaaS, I've heard it called the stair-step method. So you pick a, 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 a lower risk business, learn something about that, and then move up to a slightly higher risk business. Mm-hmm. And then eventually up to SaaS, which is one of the definitely the higher risk of all of those. And it's also the hardest to run and the hardest to manage, the hardest to market, the hardest to sell. So you can start really low. I mean, y- you could go as low as just a straight up services business. So you could do like, you're going to market yourself in email marketing. Mm. So you could say, I'm going to sell my services as an email marketing consultant. That would be step one. And then you could turn that experience. Once you've gained some experience there, you can turn that into some content and start selling that content. So you could say, hey, join my membership here and I'll give you all the secrets of email marketing. And then from that, now you've got you've got an audience, you've got some experience, and now you can turn around and maybe figure out, well, what are the pains of that audience? And maybe I can build them a micro SaaS that solves one pain that they have. Mm. And then from that, you can learn from that audience and figure out, oh, well, that micro SaaS is good, but what they really want is this to get to this over here and expand that that vision and that platform to solve that for them. But this is all done organically and it's all done in one area of expertise. So you can stair step in a lot of different ways. That was just one example. I mean, I I don't want to constrain you and say you have to do this because you could just go straight up selling content. You could do eBooks. You could do affiliate stuff and promote somebody else's product to learn about that space and get into e-commerce. Like there's a million different ways to go about this. But you gotta start where you are. If you don't know about e commerce, saying I'm gonna run a seven figure e commerce store is a fantasy. It's it an absolute fantasy. fantasy. You yeah. have to learn what are the ins and outs of doing that. What happens when you wanna do the drop shipping model versus holding inventory? What's uh, a good conversion rate? Yeah. what about my paid advertising what are good conversion rates on those ads and how much you know how much can I spend on the ads to profitably get my product out the door like those are all questions you have to learn you will not learn those on day one and so you've got to find yeah. a way to figure that stuff out
0: yeah you won't learn it on day one and you won't learn you will not learn it all on business one either which is no I think a big 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 thing to understand there was a guy that i got on cody uh it was a couple of episodes ago now probably about the 160 ish episode and he uh, bought a six-figure e-commerce business and it and he didn't know what he was doing through due diligence didn't get help through due diligence uh and ended up buying lemon yeah, Ouch. It's, um, and he's a smart guy as well, you know, like highly educated. You'd think, you know, he knows what he's doing. Um, but still, like, this, this isn't just a, a game to just throw it all yeah. in um, because you can really get taken advantage of. So start small. So, Dave, thank you so much for coming on. I really do appreciate it. I'm going to send people to recapture.io. Is there anywhere else that people can go away and check out more about what you're up to?
1: Yeah, sure. If you are are interested in some really lame social media posts, uh, you can come follow me on Twitter at Dave Rodenbach. Stuff like that. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I post some occasionally interesting stuff there and uh, mostly just like dumb memes. So.
0: Yeah. All right. There'll be a link to the Twitter, his Twitter handle, in the show notes as well. Thank you for everybody who is listening. If you are looking to get into online business in general, not just buy a site, I think this is a, such a valuable episode to listen to again. And if you know somebody else that's looking to go away and get into online business, do them a massive favour and share this podcast episode with them. There's so many golden nuggets that Dave and I were able to share throughout our conversation. Also, if you want to buy a site, don't risk it. Get my the framework. It's free. It's what I and my clients use to buy sites. There'll be a link in the description. Go away and get it um, and save yourself a whole lot of hassle. Thanks again, Dave. Thank you, Jared.